Good morning. Come on. Good morning. There we go. I'm telling you, it is a joy to be with you folks at First Baptist. Thank you all so much for allowing me to be here. Uh, And it's such a great honor also because Pastor Tom is in the house. And so uh, usually I'm, I'm where he is not and he's where I'm not because he does so many of our student conferences. Usually, you folks just need to know, First Baptist, y'all have been a flagship uh, for so long in missions and everything you guys do, but you have an extension of your ministry now through Pastor Tom. When he comes to our conference, Strength to Stand, I, I'm not exaggerating here, I literally thousands of people come to know Christ through the ministry of First Baptist through Pastor Tom and his family. Can we, can we honor the man of God this morning and just say thank you so much? And the First Lady is here, Miss Jackie. Thank you so much. There you go. Tom is giving it up for, for the First Lady. I, I just want you to know it is a joy uh, to be with you because um, it, is, uh, it is amazing what God's doing up here in Coleman. And, uh, you know, we do, we do student conferences. We do senior adult stuff. We used to do a lot of senior adult stuff. Wherever people are, the gospel needs to be shared. And like BJ was telling you, we, I have now become a grandfather. And uh, that, that, that is uh, the only thing worth the hype. I'm telling you, it is just amazing. Uh, my wife and I, when we found out we were going to be grandparents, what is your name? What is, you know, and her name is Tara. So she picked out a true Southern name. She is sweet tea, okay? I mean, any more Southern than that. Now, I do student conferences. I I wanted to be called Mixed Master Scotty D, okay? Uh, But that that didn't work, so I am now G Daddy D, and so, but we'll be called anything the kid wants to call us because we know what the Lord's got in store for his life. And so, uh, the one reason we're in here this morning is because the tomb is empty, the throne is occupied, and Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? That's the only way we're in this room. And and so, I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 14. And as you're turning to John chapter 14, uh, I'm going to try to give you a little bit of context to make this sermon relevant to you. And I was like, how in the world could I make this relevant uh, to everyone in the room? And then I started thinking, we live in Alabama. And so if you live in Alabama and it's, it's, you turn on the television and James Spann is on television and you see his suspenders, what's about to take place? There is our, our, our state bird, the trampoline, is about to go flying into the air. Uh, and we just know certain things come up. And here's what I've realized. Storms are scary. Every one of us in this room, you've walked through a scary time during a storm. Now, there are certain parts of the country, I could just mention the name of a storm, and they would just start to kind of go, wow, that's uneasy. It could be when you were young and there's a thunderstorm. It it, it could be when you're stopped on I-65 because of traffic and the gully washer comes through. Every one of us can relate that storms are scary. But for 35 years, as I've gone across the country, I'm not going to be a meteorologist. I'm not going to be on television. But here's what I've learned. Not only are the physical storms scary, personal storms are scary. Now I'm talking about the type of storms you you don't see out there on the radar. They they don't pop up on the five-day business planner's forecast because just like the, the, the physical storms, 
personal storms sometimes come out of nowhere. And, and I know I'm not, I, I don't need to get in your space, but if I were to take a step towards you this morning, it, it would be when life gets scary. Real life examples, when, when your employer says they're having to cut back their force. When, when you're in the examination room and all of a sudden the doctor uses the phrase, we found something suspicious. I don't know about you, but as soon as I hear that term suspicious, I'm bracing for a storm. When, when you're set down by the two people that you thought would never let you down, and all of a sudden, there's some things going on that you're going to have to look at life in a different set of circumstances. When, when, when there's an unexpected text or, or the tragic knock at the door late at night, when those things happen, I believe every one of us can relate and go, yep, life can get scary. Now, it's also inevitable. I hate to turn the screw, but, but someone says you're either coming into a storm, you're in a storm, or you're coming out of a storm. And by now, you're sitting there and going, Scott, you're such an encourager. Okay, well, let's get past that, and let's not focus on the storms. Here's what I want to talk to you about this morning, how to have peace in the middle of a storm. And the way I'm going to do that is to introduce to you the disciples. Now, you know the story of the disciples. They're the 12 guys who Jesus said, follow me, and they left their nets, they left their occupations, and they started to follow Jesus. And wherever Jesus went, crowds just started to gather. There was a time at the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. The average person was like, this is what we've been waiting on. And they started jumping on the bandwagon, and as the disciples saw the crowd grow, you know what? They acted just like I would have acted. They were like, this is incredible. And they started having private discussions between themselves going, who's going to be the next greatest? Who do you think is going to be able to sit on his right side? I mean, they thought they had life tied around their little finger. But, but all of a sudden, Jesus started giving the cost of discipleship. You remember reading in your Bible where he says, you're not going to be one of mine unless you deny yourself and take up your cross and only then can you follow me. And when Jesus started describing the Lord's Supper, now let me go ahead and put this to you. This is the communion, the ordinance of the New Testament church. And he said, you're not going to be one of mine unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. Now he's talking about communion, but the average person was like, this is too difficult for us. And they were jumping off the bandwagon as quickly as they had jumped on. So by now, the crowds are gone and to give you a little bit more context, in John chapter 13, Jesus looked at his disciples and said, all right, let's go to the upper room. We're going to the balcony. And when they got to the balcony, that's where Jesus identified his betrayer. The guy who's going to turn Jesus in for 30 shekels of silver. No, 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 no. It's not the anti-Jesus protester that shows up every time Jesus comes into town. The betrayer was one of the 12 disciples. And we're talking about Judas Iscariot. Judas, who had lived with these guys for three years. Judas, who had heard Jesus' teaching. He had seen Jesus' miracles. Now, as Judas leaves this room, we see 11 men in a balcony. The crowds are gone. Rumors are swirling. Now they've had one of their best friends turn their back on him. As we approach John chapter 14, I know it's not written here, but I can't help but believe one of those 11 remaining disciples had to have this thought go through his head. What else can go wrong? Have you ever been there? 
Now, come on, I know it's Sunday morning. Come on. Have you ever been to the place where so many things have gone wrong in your life, all you can do is throw your hands up and go, what else can go wrong now? It is in this context, look in John chapter 14, and I want you to go down to verse 25. We're going to catch him here in mid-thought and just kind of explain it. Listen to what he says. He, and I'll be reading from the New King James Version. He says, these things I've spoken to you while being present with you. He's looking at the disciples saying, I've already told you this before. Now look down in verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. Now look at the next phrase. And bring to your remembrance all things that I've said to you. That is the second reference of Jesus going, I've already told you this stuff before. Now, the million-dollar question we have is what in the world has Jesus been trying to tell his disciples that at their lowest point, when they're going through a storm of epic proportion, he goes, don't forget, I've already told you this stuff. Well, jump down to verse 28. He says, you have heard me say to you. That is the third reference of Jesus going, I've already told you this. Parents, have you ever had to tell your child something three times? On that third time, are you just like, you better, there's about to be a nuclear accident take place in your home, okay? So their, their ears are perked up by now. The disciples are listening, and here's what he says. I am going away and coming back to you. If you love me, you would rejoice. What Jesus is telling his disciples is, I know you don't understand, but I've got to go to the cross, and I realize you may be sitting here this morning going, Scott, how dare you stand up on that platform and, and try to tell me that somehow, someway, my pain and my suffering in 2023 can somehow be relatable to an act that took place 2,000 years ago. Well, ma'am, the message will never change. Sir, sir, the message will never change. Jesus, he died on the cross, and, and you may be sitting there going, well, I know he died on the cross, but how is that relevant to my pain and suffering? Because the problem's still the same. The, the problem is we all have one thing in common. We don't like to discuss it. We certainly don't like to admit it. But the fact of the matter is we've all sinned. Do you know what the Bible says? The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We may not know each other. We may pull for different college football teams, but we all have one thing in common. We've all sinned. If you don't believe me, I'm going to ask you a question. If you've ever told a lie, ever, in your entire, not just today, you may be lucky, okay? But if you've ever told a lie in your entire life, would you just raise your hand right now? Just anybody, anybody, raise your hand. Keep it up, keep it up. You're like, woo like that. Keep it up, keep it up. Now, with your hand in the air, will you look around the room right now? Look around the room. Do you see all the liars that came to church this morning? Do y'all see that? Now, for the few of you that did not raise your hand, <laughs> liar, <laughs> you're sitting here going, man, I've never really thought about it. Why do I do that? I do it because some of you are in this room right now, and you think you're the only one that's blown it. You think you're the only one that's messed up. I got news for you. We're all messed up. This thing, sin has infected us all. And where did it come from? It wasn't in a factory in Chicago in 1962. Sin has been around since, the, since literally the Garden of Eden. 
When the woman, Eve, was deceived, but Adam, the man, read it. He deliberately disobeyed. And from that moment, sin has flown through the veins of every man, every woman, every boy, every girl. We're sinners, listen, before a holy God. As Brandon was leading us and Karis was singing, holy, holy, holy. Holy means absolute perfect perfection. Three times over. Can you imagine that? Being in front of a holy, holy, holy God. There's no way I can come into his presence. Why? Because I've sinned. You can't come into his presence. Why? Because you've raised your hand. You can't blame Adam. We've all chosen to rebel against God. Here is the gospel message. When I could not come to him, he came to me. Jesus came and lived a sinless, perfect life. And for 33 years, he walked among us. And he never once says, pay me. Read it. He doesn't even say, thank me. You know what he says? Follow me. He knew his mission on this planet, and he went to the cross for your sin and for my sin. That's the reason the Bible says, but God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. You see, you can't buy this. You can't achieve this. You have to receive this. And you could be sitting here this morning going, Scott, I got that. I believe just like you believe. Can I tell you my greatest fear about America? It isn't politics. It isn't the price of gas. The greatest fear I have about America is that we live in a country that still knows about God. After COVID, they tell us now, according to the Gallup poll, 91% of Americans say they believe in a personal God. If we were to take a survey in this room, we would probably get upwards of 100% of people going, hey, Scott, I believe just like everyone else. Jesus came, he died, he resurrected, he ascended, and, and, and I, I believe all of that. And if that's all we got, look at me, according to Scripture, if that's all we got, that's the same type of a faith a demon has. Because the book of James teaches us that the demons know there's a God. They know Jesus died on the cross. They know he resurrected. You see, what scares me is a majority of Americans, and I'll bring it closer to home, Alabama, the buckle of the Bible belt. We think just because we've got all the facts in our head, we've tried religion, and I can compartmentalize it over here, but Jesus has never changed a life. If you're in this room and Jesus has never changed your life, don't walk out that door until you open up this door and say yes to him. It is the greatest decision of your life. Because listen to what he says. He says, my people, look, go down to verse 27. If you notice, I skipped over that. So go to verse 27 and listen to what he says. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. You know, a lot of times I meet people who go, man, I've tried religion. It, it, it just didn't work in my life. I got news for you. I don't have space in my life for religion. Jesus didn't die on the cross to make us religious. Jesus died on the cross to have a relationship with us. And what does he offer us? Is this word called peace. Peace. You think about it, a lot of us have just misdiagnosed it. We, we think there is something that's missing in our life. If I only could climb one more rung of the social ladder, if I could only drive those type of cars or hang out with those type of people, then I'm going to achieve what I'm missing. Jesus teaches us it is not something that's missing in your life. It is someone, and his name is Jesus. Because let's face it, if it was just something that's missing in our lives, we could probably fill that up. 
Because wouldn't you admit we all have too much stuff in our lives? Would you admit that? I mean, America has luxuries at our fingertips. Where else but America can you find a fast food restaurant in the same strip mall as a fast weight loss clinic? You know what I'm saying? All right. You can put it on and take it off all in the same day. All right. I don't believe God's up there going, I believe they need some more fun. I mean, those poor Americans, they don't have any pleasure at all. And you may be here this morning going, you know what? I'm just living for pleasure. And if you're living for pleasure, you know what that's like to me? That's like trying to live life at Disney World. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. I've been to Disney, okay? I, I'm not, I understand. I've been, but, but do you know what you do at Disney? By the way, you know why they call it the Magic Kingdom? Because <laughs> cash just psh, disappears. I mean, it, it goes like that. But here's what you do at Disney. All you do is wait. You wait to get out. Of your, you wait to get on the tram. You wait to go through the security. You you wait to. And if you don't have a fast pass, or now they call it the genie, and you get to your ride, you know what you do? What? You wait. My my daughter graduated. We took a quick trip down to Disney. We we didn't we didn't do the genie thing. Buzz Lightyear. We waited an hour and 45 minutes in direct Orlando sunlight, okay? Now, they were very polite. They had water, <laughs> $5 a bottle. But anyway, that's a different story. <clears throat> we, we rode the ride. You know how long the ride lasted? Three and a half minutes. I timed it. We got out of the ride, and my daughter had the audacity to look at my wife and I and go, y'all want to do that again? Okay, all right. And I'll do that for a couple of days. Look at me. But if that's how you're living your life, if all you're doing is existing and then a pocket of pleasure hits and you get up and you, and you have a little bit of enjoyment and then you get back into life, there's got to be something more to life. That's the reason Forbes magazine said 94% of Americans are enduring today in hopes of a better tomorrow. That, that's the reason you need to realize if all life was about was fame and fortune and fun, Hollywood would be the bastion of tranquility. There would be self-help books out there of going, get to Hollywood, find yourself. But all we do is read story after story, watch the news stories of lives unraveling before our eyes. I don't want to give you a lot, but let me give you one. Probably the saddest interview I've ever read in a magazine was when they were interviewing a guy by the name of Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford is one of the most successful movie stars in Hollywood's history. His movies has grossed over $6 billion. He's played the president. You know him. He's played um, um, Indiana Jones, you know, the, the series that will just never end. Anyway, all right, here's what he says in GQ magazine. Quote, I've come to the point of realizing you only want out of life what you don't have. The reporter in this magazine article repeated, what is it that you do not have? Harrison Ford had a one-word response, peace. You know what Jesus says? What does it profit a person if you can gain the entire world and lose your own soul? This morning, Jesus is saying, I'm not offering you something. I'm offering you someone himself. And you know what that is? Peace. And I started thinking, how do you describe peace? Because let's face it, a majority of people here, you know what your great, you know what your greatest, you just want someone to just kind of come along beside you, put their arm around you, and say it's gonna be okay. The Bible says he sticks closer than a brother. So if he gives us peace, how do I describe that? 
And then I started thinking I travel all over the place. Tonight, I'll, I'll be in another hotel down in, on the Gulf Coast. And I, I, you folks, y'all take care of me. Thank y'all so much. Because sometimes I get to stay in nice places, and other times I get to stay in, you know, you know anyway. anyway. And you, you, know what? you know who has the softest pillows at night? It's not the Marriott's. It's not the Hilton's. It's not the MyPillow.com guy, okay? You know who has the softest pillow? Look at me. It's any pillow. When you place your head upon it, knowing you have peace with this holy God that I couldn't do, I couldn't achieve, but when you receive Christ inside your life, he gives you something you could never achieve on your own. That's the reason the only thing you've got to do to come to him is get over this word called pride. In just a few moments, we're going to have a battle. And we're going to stand up. We're going to have an invitation. Brandon's going to be singing. Pastor Tom's going to be here at the front. And, and, and all of a sudden, it's the battle between image and integrity. Image is what other people think about you. I'll be honest with you. Image by itself is not bad. What other people think about you, it dictates to us what we wear, how we act, where we go. The only problem exists is when your image overtakes your integrity. Now, listen, here's the difference. Image is what other people think about you. Integrity is who you are. So in just a few moments when we stand and there's a time of invitation, if you stand up and God is drawing you to himself, for some of you, God's been drawing you to himself for weeks and months, the sermons you've heard, the situations you've been in, the issues you've dealt with, God's drawing you to himself. And if you stand up and you start thinking, well, if I go forward, what will other people think? Eh, wrong question. Don't worry about your image. Focus at that point on your integrity. Does that make sense to you? Because I, wouldn't it be great if I were to stand up here and tell you that only people without Jesus go through bad days? What if I were to stand up here this morning and say, you come to Jesus this morning and you'll never go through another bad day? Man, if that was the case, they'd be lined up from here to Anniston going, man, I want some of that. In fact, there's some preachers out there, they'll preach. You come to Jesus, you'll never have another bad day. I've only got one problem with that theology. <laughs> it's wrong, amen? I can't find that in my Bible. In fact, I can only find one perfect person in the whole wide world, and that's Jesus. He's without blemish and without spot. And you know what the Bible calls him? A man of sorrow acquainted with grief. If Jesus didn't get out of here without any problems, how dare I lift my hand and say, hey, God, why am I going through this? And I want you to look at me. You're saying, why are you talking like this? Because since 2020, the number one type person I've met are men and women, boys and girls, who sit in our chairs. They sing our songs. They'll take our notes. And if I were to ask you if you were to die today, you know for certain you'd spend eternity in heaven with God the Father. They'd say, I know for certain if I were to die, I'm going to heaven. But if we were just gut honest and finish that statement, we'd probably like to include the phrase, I'm just not enjoying my trip. Because we've all been beaten. We've all been battered and bruised by the storms of this life that we see around us. Every one of us has experienced loss. Some income, some family, some friends. So all of us have experienced a loss of experiences. And, and, and then you have some special speaker comes in and says, let's go out there and live a victorious Christian life. Ladies and gentlemen, I, I'm, I'm one of you. I want to go, how do we walk out of here living a victorious life when we've gone through so much? Never leave Scripture.
Go back to verse 27. Let me wrap this up and then we'll be done. Look what he says in verse 27. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Look at the next phrase. Not as the world gives do I give to you. I don't know if you have that highlighted, but I'm telling you that's almost tweetable in Jesus' day, okay? He says, not as the world gives do I give to you. You know what he's telling his disciples? What I'm offering you is not a quick fix. It's not a Band-Aid. It's a full-length solution. So when he says that, he says, let not your heart be troubled. Now, I'm going to take a chance here. I did it in the first service. Let not your heart be troubled. Let me ask, how many of you have heard that phrase, let not your heart be troubled? Let me see your hands. And I'm not talking about Hannity's show, okay? Good. We usually hear it in church. And there's a specific type of a service we hear. It's usually at a funeral. Most of us pastors will use, let not your heart be troubled. But you know what I've realized? Most of us don't use verse 27. I have never used verse 27 in a funeral. I don't know why, but I used it in another place. You remember when I told you Jesus is telling his disciples, I've already told you this stuff? Remember we walked through it three times. He says, what I've told you, I've already told you this before. I want us to go back to the beginning of that. So it's not verse 27. Would you go back up to verse 1 of John chapter 14? Look what Jesus says. He says, let not your heart be troubled. This is the very beginning of the discourse that he's repeating in verse 27. So right at the beginning, he says, let not your heart be troubled. It's the same grammatical structure as in verse 27. He says, you believe in God. He's looking right now in the rock going, you believe in God. Good job. Believe also in me. Put your faith, put your trust in me. Why? Jesus never loses control. You say, wait a minute, everybody loses control. No, 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 he never lost. He died. Certainly, Scott, when he died, he lost control. He didn't, he didn't lose control when he died, because you know how I know? Because when he died, they placed his body in a tomb, but a specific type of a tomb, a borrowed tomb. You know something? You only borrow with the intention of giving it back. Amen? You'll catch it later. Anyway, okay. Hey, don't get out of control. Let's just get out of a coma. Amen. All right, good. All right, so they, they took his body off the cross. They placed it inside of a borrowed tomb. They put a big stone in front of it, and the whole world seemed to whisper, it's over. He's out of here. But on the third day, you know what happened? The stone was rolled away, not to let Jesus out. He wasn't crimped up inside this tomb. You know why the stone was rolled away? So that you and I can go in and find that he who went in is no longer in. He's out. He came to the earth as a suffering servant. He went to the tomb as a crucified Christ. He arose the third day as the exalted son of the living God. And you know how Paul puts it in the book of Philippians? That God hath highly exalted him and given him a name above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things of heaven, of things of earth, of things under the earth. And that every tongue will declare, Jesus Christ is who? To the glory of God the Father. If he was some plastic moldable figure that I ask you to bow to three times a day, I'd say we all need to get a life. If I were to stand up here and tell you that Jesus died for us, I'd say that's a good man. But it's not until we discover the tomb is empty that we understand he has got victory over the grave. And I know you could be sitting there going, man, I wish I could be that excited uh, uh, about, uh, uh, about something. Now look, personalities are not passion. 
I have a, I'm a very extrovert, okay? I, plus, I drink a lot of caffeine. So I, it's not about your personality. Your passion is your focus. Don't lose your focus on Jesus. Let me, let me ask you a question. Anybody got a fear of flying? Anybody? Anybody? Any, a couple of you? Okay. I, I tell people all the time, I'm not afraid of being dead. Is the getting dead that kind of concerns me, okay? And 30,000 feet in three seconds is just not my choice. So I have to fly a lot. I fly Delta. Y'all probably fly Delta, right? You know what Delta stands for? <laughs> Don't ever leave the airport. So anyway, all right, so I have to fly so often. I've got 4.1 million miles with Delta right now. And so you've heard preacher stories, but this one happened. I got on the plane, it was raining, I had a window seat. The pilot came across and he was doing his introductions, okay? And when he got done, this is how he ended his introduction. And he said, folks, we're about to attempt to take off. I was like, well, my goodness, there's not a rest stop on the runway, okay? If you're going to try it, why not go all the way, all right? So I was sitting there and that, he must have been a former fighter pilot. Because he took us straight up, and we hit those storm clouds, and that plane started rocking. How, how many of you have ever been flying in a storm? Let me see your hands. Let me see. Okay. Y'all know what, this is my people. Y'all know what I was dealing with. Do y'all remember how, how, I don't want to use the term deathly, eerily silent it was? No one's moving around. I wish I could tell you I was being spiritual. I was scared to death. I mean, somebody bumped into me, and I was like, we're going down. I mean, you know, I, I thought it was over. I thought, man, it's a wonderful life. It's done. And then it happened. And I promise you, I'd, I, I promise, I'd never thought about this before in my life. But as soon as that plane broke through the last storm cloud, just above those storm clouds, the sun was shining. Now, I know some of you are out there going, God bless his heart. I had never thought the sun always shines. Do you know this morning when it was 1 a.m., the sun was shining? The sun never calls in sick. It never takes a personal day because it's in a season. All right? it, it, the sun always shines. And there's not one of us inside this room, you woke up this morning in an anxiety attack going, is the sun there? You know what Jesus says? Jesus said, you believe in God. That's not enough. Believe in me. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Listen to what the Scripture says. Lo, I am with you what? Now, I want you to think about this this afternoon. Think of a time not defined by that word always. When life is going great, you know he's there. But for some of you inside this room right now and your life is falling apart, he's right there. And he says, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. So don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let it be afraid. In fact, if we were to carry this on, you know what he says? You know why? Because Jesus says, I have overcome this world. And he can give you the peace. Not only after the storm. Not only before the storm. He can give you the peace during your storm. And if you're in this room, you don't know him, I, 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 can't even, I can't even communicate what all you're missing. I wish I could place him in your heart for five seconds because if you knew about my Jesus, he could change. Look, he doesn't make the problems go away, but you know what he does? He removes the problem with the word called peace 
that gets you through. That's the reason Paul says he gives the peace that passes understanding. If you understood everything God was doing, one, it'd blow our minds. But two, you go, it's when you don't know what's going on. That's when he gives you the peace that goes beyond understanding. So if you're here in this room, you don't know Christ, it's not about running up and down these aisles. It's not about screaming at the top of your lungs. It's one word called surrender. That's the reason Paul says in the book of Romans, he repeats the Old Testament and the New Testament, and he says, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The word whosoever is incredible. Because you know what the word whosoever means? Whosoever. You see, it's not just church people. It's not just good people. It's whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The word call is the key word. That means to stretch forth. It means some people say it's like a a baby to its parents, but it's so much more because there's urgency. If I were to explain it to you, it'd be like if you were in Smith Lake and you were drowning, and you were bopping up and down, and you were about to go under the last time, and right before you went under, a life preserver hits the top of the water. You're going to grab the life preserver because you need to be saved. Now, you could be sitting here going, wait a minute, that meant I saved myself. No, i got to remind you, you're drowning. You can't save yourself. You have to trust the life preserver. I'm not the life preserver. First Baptist is not the life preserver. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Does that make sense? Does that, that's a mind picture for you. Now, today, if you're in this room and you don't know him, you know about him, you know people who know him, but right now with your integrity, sitting there right now, Jesus has never changed your life. I don't know a better way to bring someone to Christ than, than prayer. That's, that the Bible says, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, some of you are out there going, there's not a prayer written in Scripture. You're right. There's not a prayer written in Scripture. But, but let me just tell you real quick. Old Testament, Isaiah says, if I have sin in my heart, the Lord's not going to hear my prayer. Well, we got a problem because we've already raised our hands. We're liars. So if I have sin, the Lord's not going to hear me. You go to the New Testament, Paul says, pray without ceasing. So how do you go from God not hearing your prayer to God always hearing your prayer? Go to Jesus, and he met a religious person who thought he knew everything, but he still had one question. He said, Jesus, how can a man be born again? And you remember how Jesus responded? He said, Nicodemus, that which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel at this, Nicodemus. You must be born again. How are you born again? Whosoever calls upon the name the Lord shall be saved. It all works together. So if you're in this room, you don't know him, I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer. And it's not the prayer you have to repeat, you know, with your lips or or write out on a piece of paper or see it inside of a book. It is that prayer of going, God, I need you. Save me. Forgive me of my sins. And as soon as that prayer is prayed, it is taken straight to the throne room of God and the eyes of the Almighty. You're born again. So I'm going to ask if every one of us bowed our heads, no one's going to think we're picking anybody out. It's not between you and anyone else right now. But with everyone here, heads bowed, eyes closed, I'm going to pray the prayer out loud, and I'm just going to invite you, wherever you are across this room. It goes like this. Don't, you don't have to say one word with your lips. Just scream in your soul. Dear God, I know I've done some things wrong, but I know you love me to the point You sent your son to die on the cross for me. So right now, the best way I know how, I receive you into my life. Forgive me of my sin. Make me brand new. I know you love me. Help me to love you.
thank you, God. Now, with heads are bowed and eyes are closed, literally, we don't know what's going on in this room. But if you're in this room and you just prayed that prayer, fact, fact, Jesus died. Fact, he resurrected. Fact, he's coming back. By faith, we understand that if you come to Jesus, he'll in no wise cast you out. But we're not introducing a God that wants to play games. We're introducing a God that wants to plant roots. And it really doesn't matter what Scott Dawson or some denomination says. It really matters what Jesus says. And Jesus is the one who says, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father. If you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father. So in just a few moments, we're going to pray. And then after we pray, we're going to stand. And Pastor Tom, BJ, other staff members are going to be here at the front. And if this morning you just prayed that prayer, I'm going to invite you to do something very bold, very courageous. And that is as soon as we stand, if you just leave your seat. If you're on the end, you step out. If you're in the middle, you scoot out. They'll let you by. You come forward, grab that hand and say, I prayed to receive Jesus. You're saying you're adding something to it. No, I promise you I'm not. There is no humiliation in the presence of Jesus. You read his word. He never once threw a rock. He always throws ropes and he's throwing a rope of hope to this morning. And when you come forward and grab that hand, you're not going to be paraded around. But here's what I'm going to tell you. If you're not willing to tell a bunch of Christians that you're now a follower of Jesus, do you think you're going to be able to go back home, go to your school, and go to your business and live for Jesus? I just don't want you to walk out of here with a half-truth. You may be the only one that comes forward this morning. I'd rather that be your mentality than for you to sit back and wait on everyone else to make their decision And then you're not following Jesus. You're following the crowd. Jesus never says, follow my followers. Jesus says, follow me. Others may be here this morning going, you know what? I know I'm saved, but I'm going through some stuff. This is not a country club. This is a mass hospital for wounded souls. And whenever I think about the term solitaire, I think about a silly game I can't win, or I think about prison. I never think about the Christian life. So this morning, we're going to bear each other's burdens. And if you need somebody to pray with you, you come forward. There's an altar here at the front. Maybe it's just to gather somebody there at your seat. Whatever Christ tells you to do, let's not worry about our image. Let's be filled with integrity this morning. Let's put our yes on the table. We're going to pray, and then we're going to stand. Come to Jesus. Father, thank you this morning. Lord, we come in before you so many different needs and circumstances. It goes beyond human comprehension. And Father, for those of us who walked in this room thinking we're the only one that's messed up, we're the only one that's blown it, we're the only one that's got problems, God, reveal to us this morning how much you love us and how much we're not by ourselves. Lord, I pray that this morning you show up and you show off for your glory and your glory alone. And throughout everything, we pray this prayer in the name that is above every other name, Jesus Christ, Lord. Amen. Let's stand together. You come. Brandon singing Christ.